Billy Chappell is 40 years old as he sits in the dugout here at Yankee Stadium. 40 years old, arm-weary and aching. And don't let anybody tell you or Billy that life begins at 40. 4,100 innings Billy Chappell has walked to the mound in a brilliant 19-year career. But never before, in all those years and in all those innings, has he ever had a date with destiny as he has right now. He will make the fateful walk to the loneliest spot in the world, the pitching mound at Yankee Stadium, in quest of the pitcher's dream, the perfect game. Billy Chappell in quest of the perfect game, you also realize he may very well be at the crossroads of a brilliant career. He's a cinch to wind up in the Hall of Fame. However, after this game, he has to make the big decision. A, will he continue to do what has been his life? Maybe more important than life itself, baseball. Or will he hang it up? And would a perfect game give him the logical conclusion to the great career? At 40 years old, Billy Chappell is flirting with perhaps the greatest accomplishment in baseball. And standing his way will be Matt Crane hitting for Babe Nardini, then Jesus Cabrillo, and Ken Strout has a bat in his hands in the dugout and might very well get the call to bat for Jaime Ruiz. And you know, Steve, you get the feeling that Billy Chappell isn't pitching against left-handers, isn't pitching against pinch hitters, he isn't pitching against the Yankees. He's pitching against time. He's pitching against the future, against age, and even when you think about his career, against ending. And tonight, I think he might be able to use that aching old arm one more time to push the sun back up in the sky and give us one more day of summer. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. I opened up that clip from uh, For the Love of the Game from 1999. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. But it wasn't about the movie. It's about the voice that you heard in it, Vin Scully, who was part of the soundtrack of all of our lives. He, uh, he died Tuesday, 94 years old, almost three months short of 95 years old, broadcasted for the Dodgers in movies, on TV shows, um, for 67 years, I don't think you even had to be a Dodger fan to know his voice because he broadcast, he just had the, probably the most famous voice in history, uh, him and, uh, and what's the guy, this is CNN, um, that guy, <clears throat> the guy that's in, uh, in, uh, anyway, all those movies, I can't think of them right now because I'm thinking about Vin Scully and we lost him and, and, uh, it was a sad day for, for Dodger fans 
for Angel fans, for all sports fans, and even even I who isn't really a, a sports fan. The, na- the name was James Earl Jones. Was that other other famous voice? But uh, for those of us, for I'm not even a big sports fan. But when I was a kid, I was. I was a kid growing up in Lakewood, and the Dodgers were our team. And my mom was always crazy in front of Dodger baseball. And, uh, you know, so that was my team. People go, hey, the Dodgers are playing. I said, oh, good. Is that, uh, is, uh, so is uh, Steve Garvey still first and Davey Lopes at second and uh, Ron Say at third and Bill Russell at shortstop and, uh, and Steve Yeager behind the plate or uh, Joe Ferguson or, you know, I, I know, I know all those names. No, 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 those were, those were from the ancient years. And all the current Dodger fans uh, think I think I'm uh, I'm an old fogey because uh, that's how I remember the Dodgers. But that's when the Dodgers were were exciting in my life. Now I then I I grew up and I realized that hey, you know what? Uh, when they win, doesn't make any difference in my life, and I focus on things that that help me and my family and others in the family. And say you know what? Uh, I was talking to uh, my my uh, production assistant Brooke, and she goes, well, you know, some people that. I said, I don't, you don't even care about sports. He said, well, I care about sports. I, I like to go to baseball games and I like to go to football games and I like the environment. I like hot dogs and I like the environment. But I just don't care who wins. And I said, I don't understand people that get obsessed by that. She goes, well, they don't get a, they don't understand what you get obsessed about. Well, I get obsessed about things that affect everybody, everybody's lives. So, uh, uh, but you know, for me, that makes, that makes more sense. And for the, the sports fans, apparently not. They say, "Hey, but you're always you're always mad, and we're just uh, in, uh, you know, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. So if I just don't listen to the news, I just don't know what's happening. I won't know that. I won't know until till the the Chinese drop a bomb on my house that there's even any problems in the world. When my when my grandkids are speaking Chinese, that's when my kids are going to be figuring out. Hey, maybe there was something all that stuff that Dad was obsessed about." But I suspect I'll be uh, I'll be uh, too old or gone to uh, to know about it by then, and and I fight for I fight for the world that we're going to leave for our grandkids, and uh, even if it's just my voice. But if more people, if more people would just say what they think, we'll realize that us right wing wackos are really not the minority. We're really the majority. the The minority is those people that see what's going on in the world today. And think and don't think anything of it, or think it's okay, or don't think they need to say anything about it, or you know, hey, it's it's uh, it's offensive if you say something about it. Um, they'll find out that those guys have the loudest microphones thanks to the media, and they have the loudest voices, but they're not the majority. That song was uh, "Time" from Pink Floyd, and I use that because, uh, as Vin Cully, Vin Scully was saying about Billy Chapel in the movie. He's not he's not pitching against uh, 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 left-handed batters, and he's not pitching against the Yankees. He's pitching pitching against time, and uh, you know uh, in the in the story, uh, Billy Chapel's forty years old, and uh, and that's old for uh, an athlete, um, unless you're George Foreman or uh, or Tom Brady or how old is Tom Brady? He's in his early forties, so. Uh, he doesn't appear to be slowing down from any of that, but anyway, but anyway, so we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about things that are going on today that are going to affect things time later. If we don't do something to turn it around, Tom Brady's 45. I love these little, uh, these little message things that I can get while I'm on the radio. No one has to say anything. They just message me 
when I, when I have a question. Hey, uh, how long do you cook a 23-pound turkey if you're frying? Okay, never mind. <clears throat> Other questions that don't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> don't make any difference. So anyway, before I go on, let me introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Ed Hoffman, branch manager, Planet Home Lending. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are more and more fantastic opportunities in real estate as the market cools down, the competition uh, uh, eases off to buy properties. Now it's time, if you've read my book and I taught, there's three or four chapters in about real estate, and investing, and I talk about the market cycle and the four phases of it. And I see we're we're going from a uh, seller's market one, and we're probably starting to transition, probably not quite there into a buyer's market one yet, or from a seller's market two into a buyer's market one. We're probably not quite there yet, but we're going into it. So if you're a real estate investor, or if you're thinking about you want to be a real estate investor, now's the time to get prepared. You should know uh, what your financing options are. I have more and more people talking to me about, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this and doing this. What's my strategy? Well, how much money do you have to buy these investment properties? Well, I have 20,000 bucks. And that's probably not going to really be enough to do things the traditional way. So uh, I talk about in my book um, what I call money for nothing, my money for nothing method that I invented when uh, necessity required it. When I was putting in lowball offers, um, about... 18 years ago, I started buying rental properties in uh, 2003, and uh, I was buying flipper properties before that and flipping them and, and learning the hard way about how to do it and what not to do. And when I started doing the buy and hold, it was 2003, and I bought seven in 2003 and seven in 2004, and then uh, four and three in 2000. No, I had 18 properties all together, so I had uh, four in 2005. Um, so anyway, if, uh, if you want the whole story and what my strategy was, uh, get my book experience matters. Here's mine at edhoffman.net. Um, but anyway, so, but if you're interested in figuring out what the opportunities are in real estate and, uh, and you need some financing help, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, toll free day, day or night, area code 855-640-2020. If you don't want to, you don't want to talk on the phone, but you do want to find out some information, Go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the Planet Home Lending logo. That'll take you to my lending page. Put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my talented teammates will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. If you're over 62 or your spouse is over 62 and you've got a ton of equity in your house and whether you need more money or not, whether you need to stop making a house payment or not, um, with the unsurety, what's going on in our in our uh, uh, economy right now and the world economy, I, I have to say you're you're double dumb if you don't at least look into a reverse mortgage just to find out what the opportunities are. And I have a I had a guy who called me a few weeks ago and asked about it. And I sent him some numbers, and then he said he wanted to talk to his kids. And I haven't run into this for a while, but typically it used to be that hey, you know, when the when you ask your kids if they think you should get a reverse mortgage. And of course, you're not making any payments on a reverse mortgage. So the interest accrues on your principal balance, which essentially means from the loan side, their inheritance is, is slowing down. So, hey, I got $200,000 worth of equity. And now my, now my mortgage, instead of going down a little bit each time, is going up a little each time. And their kids are going to talk you out of it um, if, they don't, if they don't have the idea that, hey, 
uh, mom, dad, spend your money on you. It's your money. Spend it while you're alive and you can enjoy it. Um, but what they don't realize is that while your, your equity in your real estate equity is slowing down because your house is still appreciating and while the, while the, uh, principal balance is accruing as well, but it's, it's probably going up faster than what your, what your, uh, what your principal is going up, but your, your equity in your bank account is going up because you're not making those payments every month. So when you die, they get your equity in your house and they get your bank accounts. It's all the same. But while you're alive, you have control of that money that's in your bank account. Think about when you need money and you need to take out a loan on your house, but you don't have the same income you used to have and you couldn't, can't qualify anymore. Reverse mortgage gives you a, gets rid of your house payment and it, uh, and it allows you a, it's different on depending on the numbers, but it allows you a, a line of credit on your house that you never have to make payments on and it never expires. It doesn't expire in 10 years and you have to start paying it back. As long as you're alive, it's alive. Anyway, 855-640-2020 if you want to talk about it or edhoffman.net, click on the Planet Home Lending logo. Uh, if there's any part of the program that you want to uh, listen to again or you missed it at the radio times, um, go to podcast page and you'll hear this. You can access this show as well as several past shows. You can also get it on SoundCloud or iTunes where you can subscribe for free. And once a week, it'll download to your device, whatever you listen to uh, podca podcasts on. Um, and if you have uh, comments on the show, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. Also, a little preview in the next week, week and a half, uh, Experience Matters, Here's Mine, will be available on audiobooks. Um, so was a cruel and unusual punishment to sit in front of the microphone and read all the pages of my book, but I did it for you guys that don't turn pages. Um, that way you can do it in your, you can listen to your car. So anyway, let's talk about what's going on this week because there's a lot to talk about. So the Build Back Better uh, may be dead, but Biden agenda has been revived in the form of a bill that passed the Senate last week after negotiations between Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin. The Inflation Reduction Act is, is a new scaled down version of the previously scaled down Build Back Better bill that the House passed in October which you may remember was shot down in the Senate by Joe Manchin in December. Let's start out with the small handful of things that this bill gets right. It gets rid of all the social safety net provisions from the Build Back Better program, including universal pre-K, which if you remember the last 2,500 bills that the Congress passed all include funding for universal pre-K. I don't know how much it can cost. Um, in case you're not aware of it, um, babies aren't being born as, as at the same rate they used to be, unless you're, uh, unless you're a Muslim family, but American families are having less and less kids. So the, so the level of kids in pre-K, um, which is a uh, preschool, um, before you go to kindergarten, that should be, that should be reducing because you, you millennials and you gen and you gen Zers, uh, don't want to have kids cause it cramps your style, your social style. So you don't want to pass pass anything on to anybody else. You just want to be selfish and uh, enjoy your own life without uh, giving what you got to, uh, to the next generation. Uh, gets rid of an extension on the enhanced child tax credit, which used to get uh, $3,000 a kid. Now you get $3,600 a kid and uh, enhanced uh, six months or eight months ago. Um, Joe Biden started having it instead of getting a tax credit at the end of the year, he actually was paying it to you in uh in monthly checks which that can't cost anything to the to the government to uh, to the taxpayers to cut a gazillion checks or wire transfer a gazillion $300 checks every month rather than just giving a credit once a year 
Um, nobody thinks about that. But you know, if your if your kids are uh, uh, under six, you got three hundred dollars a month, and you got two fifty a month if you're over six. Um, it also gets rid of the Medicare benefit expansion, which uh, um, for those for those of you guys that are touched by Medicare, um, that that I don't know, it covers just about everything. Uh, and universal paid family leave and sick and sick leave program got rid of that. All we need is uh, to pay people to stay at home or call in board from uh, from work and still get paid. So we got rid of that. But that's about it. Because despite everything Joe Manchin is saying this week in his attempt to sell it to Republicans, this is no bipartisan bill. To start, it still includes plenty of far-left agenda funding. We'll spend $369 billion total on energy and climate change, which we know how that's going right now. Now, hey, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels and we're going to, everybody's going to have an electric car, except for can't afford to have gas in your car so you can go to work. So you can't afford to buy an electric car. And if everybody switched to electric car, Edison can't, can't handle it on the power grid. And uh, uh, somebody that just didn't think this out. Uh, it also includes an extension of the Affordable Care Act subsidies totaling $64 billion. And we all know how much better health care is since Obamacare passed. Um, not. And uh, so we sure want to extend it for another $64 billion. And yet, according to one page fact sheet circulated by Chuck Schumer, it would reduce the deficit by more than $300 billion over a decade. Not sure how that works. We tax the hell out of everybody and we spend the hell out of everything, but it reduces deficit. And when you think about it, like I, I think I mentioned this last week, it's, it reduces the deficit. $300 billion, That doesn't mean it reduces our debt. It doesn't pay off our credit cards for $300 billion. Just reduces how much we overspend by $300 billion over the next 10 years. Of course, uh, when they use these numbers, the numbers are so big, nobody really has a concept of what it is. So you guys just hear it goes in one ear and out the other. According to Schumer and Manchin, it would raise $739 billion in revenue, imposing a 15% tax on companies with more than $1 billion in profits and closing the carried interest loophole. So let me explain what that means. Imposing a 15% tax on companies with more than a billion in profits. They're not talking about taxable income and they're not talking about total revenue. They're talking about book income. So if a company makes $5 billion, and but they spent $2 billion on, on payroll, and they spent $1 billion on the product. So let's say, uh, let's just use Amazon. And I'm just using round numbers because they might make 20 times this. So they make $5 billion comes in, um, but they sold the products that cost them $2 billion. Uh, or their, uh, their employees, their people in the warehouse, the people driving those electric vans, uh, people that uh, boxing these things up. Um, they spend $2 billion paying those people. And the actual product cost them $1 billion. So that's... Uh, a book income of $2 billion. What it excludes is, is the loopholes that Congress wrote to encourage, to, to uh, incentivize expansion, like you know, building, more, building more factories or building more uh, uh, warehouses, uh, buying more electric vans, hiring more people, opening more, more locations so you can order stuff on Amazon and it gets to you in two hours instead of two weeks. And, uh, and for all that expansion that, that they get to depreciate right off the first year, they got, they get rid of all that stuff and they're saying, Hey, whatever your book income, you have to pay a minimum of 15%. So 
what happens when companies have to have to increase their tax their tax base so much they stop spending money on expansion and they stop giving raises and they stop hiring more people and they stop opening more locations so congress forgets they created loopholes in the tax code to encourage private industry to create bigger economy and now they think they're going to penalize them for taking advantage of that and creating jobs the carried income uh, in- interest loopholes talking about uh, when hedge funds hedge funds some a lot some a lot of these uh, a lot of these uh, investment companies now say hey we don't charge you any fee if you don't make money we don't make money but if you do make money they get a percentage of it and then they then they tax that they uh, show that income as capital gains which is taxed about twenty percent versus twenty eight or thirty percent so um, so it's a lower tax so they're going to cut that off that was last week. This week, Kristen Cinema signed on to the bill, and and one of her things was uh, she wants to put that carried carried uh, carried interest loophole back in, and in exchange, she wants five billion dollars for drought resiliency in her state of Arizona. And to me, hey, here's how you fix drought problems in in Arizona: is stop stop tapping the Colorado River into California, build desalination plants in the Pacific ocean to feed the West coast. Then boom, we don't have any, we don't have any drought problems in California and the farmers have crops again and everything's, everything's honky dory, but nobody seems to think that's a good idea. Um, But the bipartisan study shows the bill, this bill will not just tax wealthy corporations. The congressional joint committee on taxation found that taxes would jump by 16.7 16.7 billion on American taxpayers making less than 200,000 in 2023 and raise another 14.1 billion on taxpayers who make between 200 and 500,000. It also found by 2031 new energy credits and subsidies would force those earning less than 400,000 to pay as much as two-thirds of the additional tax revenues collected that year. Okay, while these numbers are big and, and most of them don't mean anything to you, just know that your taxes are going up when they said they wouldn't. But don't worry everyone, because Joe Manchin said those facts are just not true. According to multiple different organizations, this bill does raise taxes. They're wrong, it does not raise taxes, and I've said this before. I said all we did was close loopholes, if you heard. First of all, in 2017, the tax rate, corporate tax rate was 35%. It went from 35 to 21, 14% reduction, Brett. And when that did, everyone says, oh my goodness, this is tremendous. All we're doing is basically saying the largest corporations in America that have a billion dollars of value or greater have to pay a minimum of 15% to help this great country. That's all. I'm satisfied. Yes, I'm satisfied too because Joe Manchin said it. All we did is close loopholes. Well, let's 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 rephrase that. Loopholes equal incentives to for economic expansion. Loopholes equal incentives to for economic uh, expansion. So when they say, hey, we're closing loopholes, means we're turning off things that we did in the tax code to incentivize companies to create more jobs. That's all we did. We didn't raise taxes. So there's also a Penn Wharton study that shows the ironically titled Inflation Reduction Act could actually lead to increase in inflation over the next two years. The Penn Wharton uh, budget model found that the act would slightly increase inflation until 2024 and decrease inflation thereafter. Inflation could rise by 0.05% over the next two years before a marginal drop of 0.25 by the late 2020s, rendering the spending package basically ineffective at accomplishing its purpose. 
So inflation is 9.1 as of last month. It'll be over 10% this month. So when they add 0.05, that'll take it to 10.05 plus. And by the late 2020s, down to 9.8. Of course, we'll have uh, Trump back in office there or DeSantis or some Republican that will turn the economy back around. So this is basically all just BS and they're blowing smoke up our butts. And uh, that's just uh, that's just all all fairy dust for them to sprinkle on us. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for the first half of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes of weather, traffic and sports and commercials. And I'll be right back with lots, lots more. Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, branch manager, plan of home lending. I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance. Well, I did kind of in the first half, but if uh, but if you're interested in uh, finding out if uh, if you should be in the market, if you should be considering rearranging your uh, your debts, if you should be uh, looking into a property that's not in California that could be uh, including in any of the states, including Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana. Tennessee, Arkansas, Georgia, Florida. Um, are there any little states in there that I missed? Uh, North Carolina, um, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, New Hampshire, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, or Montana. Any of those states? And if there's a, some other state that you're that you're considering that I didn't mention, call me and see if I see if I forgot. I just kind of think about what goes down through the Southern border and then up across. And then I always end it with uh, Montana, which is uh, where I bought a house last year. And uh, it's so America up there. So anyway, uh, and I'll probably be broadcasting from there next week. So uh, before the, but if you're, if you're interested in doing any of that, call me toll free at 855-640-2020, 855-640-2020, or go to edhoffman.net Click on the Planet Home Landing logo. So uh, before the break, we were talking about the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which has no uh, no chance of uh, of reducing re- inflation. And uh, just day by day, the Democrats do more and more to make our life more miserable, harder to afford. And uh, for the people, the only the only justice here is that the people that voted for Biden are the ones that are getting hurt the worst. Because I know it's not going to really affect me that much because I'm, I did some smart things financially in my younger years and I'm reaping the benefits of it now, which is, uh, if you haven't read uh, Experience Matters, here's mine. I go through all the details from, uh, from ground zero. Um, and you can get that on edhoffman.net as well. Um, but, the, um, uh, but the people that, that think that Trump is just so mean, people that don't go to work, People that just want to be uh, social influencers or influencers on social media, the people that just went to college, spent two hundred thousand dollars of uh, of our taxpayer money, have no intentions of ever paying it back, and uh, and got a useless degree that taught them how to how to think wrong. Uh, those are the people that are going to be hurting the worst. Those are the people that are pulling up their their uh, their Honda Civics and their uh, Hyundai Elantras and their uh, and their Toyota. 
Tundras and any other kind of foreign car they could get um, to not keep money in the United States and uh, pumping it full of uh, $5.5 gas and going, well, let's see. I need to eat at least once this week. How many gallons can I afford? Eh, I can't fill my tank. I'm going to have to put in uh, four gallons. So uh, those are the people that are going to be hurt the worst. And those are the people that Biden says he cares about so much. And the Democrats say they care about so much. But, you know, instead of putting our best and brightest in, in leadership in this country, we put in the most diverse cabinet in history. And we have, we have gay people and transgender people and black people and Asian people. And, and that has no idea. It has, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're uh, a he or a she or a Z or a Zay or a it, um, as long as there's one of each in the cabinet, doesn't matter if you have a brain, they just had to, had to have a diverse cabinet. And now we have a diverse, weak, uh, weak, unlivable country. And hopefully we can survive it for two more years till we have a chance to, to get uh, Biden out of there. Um, I know we're going to take the, the Republicans are going to take the House and the Senate uh, coming up in about 96 days. Um, but then there's, then there's another two months before, they, before it actually takes effect. And, but I just don't know if we can survive two more years of, of Biden. I seriously doubt it. Um, so something will happen. And the, the, and the Democrats will try to pull off something to, to pull a razzle-dazzle and screw us all one way or the other. So let's talk about what was going on with the, uh, with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that we were talking about. Uh, let's combine all the data that we talked about in the first half with the knowledge that Joe Manchin has a history of incorrect predictions every time he gets behind a spending bill, like when he supported the American Rescue Plan last year and told us it wouldn't lead to inflation. Famous last words. You may end up overheating the economy and causing inflation, sir. Well, I hope we don't. I don't think we will because, again, I've said we spread it out. We didn't throw it all at one time. Last year, you said the American Rescue Plan, the COVID relief bill, would not cause inflation. So why should Americans believe you now when you say that this new bill will not exacerbate inflation? I made sure I don't make that mistake again. That's the bottom line. I'm satisfied. Yes, I'm satisfied. He said, I'm going to make sure we don't make that same mistake. How are you going to do that, Joe? Is everybody that has a name Joe, is that just stupid? If you have Joe with a D next to your name, because I have a lot of friends, Joe, that I know you guys are listening, so I don't want to insult you. But if you have Joe with a D next to your name, does that just mean you're an idiot? Maybe it's just the D. Maybe it has nothing to do with the Joe. Hey, I'm going to make sure we don't, I'd make sure I don't make that mistake this time. Well, you already did. We'll just start calling him Joe Dirt. Joe Deer Take. What an idiot. So, uh, you know what? And the problem is, is you know, when he, he talked about uh, the, uh, the American Rescue Plan, well, I don't think so. Well, the, pro- the, 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 the most important words of that is, I don't think. Democrats don't think. They don't think about cause and effect. Well, if we do this, what's going to be the effect? If we raise taxes on corporations, they're going to pay their share. No, they're not. No, they're not. I mean, they're paying their share. They're creating jobs. So we're just going to, we're just going to increase their, their, co- their cost and they're going to offset it somewhere else. They're going to increase the price of the products and they're going to, and they're going to reduce the amount of raises and bonuses they give to their employees. Wait, we'll show them we're going to raise minimum wage. We're going to make them pay $8 an hour uh, kids 
uh, $15 an hour to flip burgers at, at McDonald's. Well, you're not really going to solve anything there. They're just going to justify the, the cost of leasing a, uh, a uh, what do they call those things? You go into a machine and you press the buttons to order your food. There's one or one or two people behind the counter. They're kiosks. Kiosks. So the um, you order, you go up to the kiosk instead of talking to a pimply faced kid, and you say, "Hey, I want uh, one Big Mac, one fillet of fish, and one order of fries and a large diet coke." And uh, instead, you fumble around with the kiosk for uh, for five or six minutes instead of thirty five seconds, and then you accidentally order order uh, uh, six filet of fish and four Big Macs. And you go, man, price of McDonald's sure got higher. Um, and I'm working off one of my experiences when we we're coming back from, uh, from Montana, stopped in, uh, stopped in Idaho Falls to get some, uh, some gas and some food at one of those kiosks in McDonald's. And we took it to our hotel room and I go, why was it like 50 bucks for McDonald's? And we get there and I have six filet of fish and four Big Macs and two double quarter pounders with cheese. And I'm going, how did I end up with this on my order? Because the kiosks are tricky. So anyway, so what's, what's in all this stuff for Joe Manchin? I promise you last week we talked about it. Joe Manchin is getting a pipeline for his state, which, as Trump said, when Trump would talk to, to leaders of other countries, he'd say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push for what's the best for the United States, as you guys should push for what's best for your country. And somewhere, in the, and somewhere there, we're going we're gonna to find common ground what's good for all of us. But you should be negotiating like that. I don't expect Joe Manchin to bargain for what's good for California or for Montana or Arizona or Texas or any other state. He represents uh, West Virginia. So I expect that he'll be he'll be uh, making deals that are good for his state. The problem is. This plan hurts everybody in the country so that Joe Manchin can get his people in his state a pipeline. From the New York Times last week, one possible clue to Mr. Manchin's change of heart in, the, in a line of his joint announcement with uh, Schumer, the Congress would approve a separate measure to address the permitting of energy infrastructure, potentially including a natural gas pipeline, um, before the end of the fiscal year on September 30th. And you hear me talk about se- fiscal years. Why do they have to do it before the end of fiscal year? Because, uh, you know, there are certain things that are mandatory, mandatory spending. They got to spend that. Spend that whether we need it or not. Got to spend it or else we lose it till the next budget. And that could ease the way for a project which Mr. Manchin has taken personal interest in, the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which would transport Appalachian shale gas from West Virginia to Virginia. All you got to do is follow the money. So his people are getting a pipeline, which is going to make jobs in West Virginia, which is going to create lower gas prices, lower heating prices in uh, Virginia and West Virginia. And it's going to be good for those states, but they're hurting everybody else in the in the in the process. And I expect that all the other governors of all the other governors and all the senators are going to say, "Hey, I want something for my state. I want to except except for gruesome Newsom, Gavin Newsom. He doesn't care about our state." So anyway, that's follow the money, folks, and you'll see where where everything where everything happens. So it's been a year since Joe Biden hastily pulled the U.S. troops out of Afghanistan amid the Taliban takeover of the country. We all remember the chaos that ensued with 124,000 Afghans boarding U.S. military planes. And where did they end up? Some were dropped off in Qatar, but others are in Virginia, some in Oklahoma, and at least 5,000 that we know of are here in California. And the ones in Qatar are also being told they'll be able to come here at some point. 
uh, from the Washington Post report in February. And of course, we know now that they if they couldn't if they couldn't get here on a plane from uh, Qatar, they catch a plane to Mexico and then they just walk across the southern border. And the people from uh, Afghanistan that come across say, "Hey, it's easier to get in through through Mexico, so we just fly over here." At the time, this is how Joe Biden de uh, defended his ending the war in Afghanistan so haphazardly. Look, let's put this thing in perspective here. What interest do we have in Afghanistan at this point with al-Qaeda gone? We went to Afghanistan for the express purpose of getting rid of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, as well as, as well as getting Osama bin Laden. And we did. And we did, but apparently, as it turns out, we did not get rid of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan entirely. And the organization means ties with the Taliban's, Taliban's Haqqani network. Uh, that's who's hiding out. Ayman al-Zahiri and al-Qaeda number two, who plotted the 1998 bombing of the U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania that killed 224 people, and the bombing of the USS Cole in 2000 that killed 17 Let's see, that's uh, 224, so that's uh, 241 people that this guy got. More notoriously, he was a central planner of the 9-11 attacks, along with uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who's in Guantanamo Bay, uh, as far as I know. Uh, from a balcony at the White House, here is uh, the illustrious Joe Biden once again, due to rebound of COVID. Here's Joe taking another victory lap. You know, Zawiri was uh, bin Laden's leader. He was with him all the, the whole time. He was his number two man, his deputy at the time the terrorist attack 9-11. He was deeply involved in the planning of 9-11, one of the most responsible for the attacks that murdered 2,977 people on American soil. For decades, he was the mastermind behind attacks against Americans. Now, justice has been delivered. Yeah, justice has been delivered 21 years later when the guy's 71 years old. Of course, uh, if you remember, we had opportunity to kill Osama bin Laden in uh, 1996, and I think in 1999 uh, when Bill Clinton was in office and uh, Democrat, and we couldn't we couldn't do that because we we're worried about we might we might accidentally hit hit one of the crown princes in uh, in Saudi Arabia. Of course, I think our snipers and military special forces. Uh, can pick off one guy without hitting the guy next to him. Uh, but Clinton said no. And of course, uh, we got, we got bin Laden. Uh, but that was, that was the CIA that hunted him down from George W. Bush and Obama, uh, was the one that took the credit because he, we got him on Obama's watch. Of course, remember Joe Biden said, don't go. We don't know enough. It's not safe for us to go. So, uh, don't, don't take any victory lap for that. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Sprig of Broccoli. So uh, more on Al-Zahari. In 2006, George W. Bush ordered a missile strike that attempted to kill him, but he survived, while four other Al-Qaeda members were killed. Al-Zahari appeared on video two weeks later saying that all the powers on the earth could not kill him. Of course, he said it in Arabic, so uh, I couldn't repeat what he exactly said, but it, it uh, didn't sound like that. In 2007... When Al-Qaeda launched its most widespread effort to radicalize Muslims around the world, you might remember the guy Saeed Farouk, uh, who uh, got, uh, who got um, radicalized and brought over his uh, fiance uh, from uh, over there in the Middle East. 
uh, radicalized and she radicalized him and they shot up the San Bernardino uh, Christmas party uh, a few years back. Uh, so you remember all that. So Al Zahiri appeared in 16 videos uh, and audio tapes, four times more than Osama bin Laden, Laden since then, because Al Qaeda saw him as their best recruiter. Here's more from Biden's victory lap. After relentlessly seeking Zawahiri for years under Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump, our intelligence community located Zawahiri earlier this year. He had moved to downtown Kabul to reunite with members of his immediate family. After carefully considering the clear and convincing evidence of his location, I authorized a precision strike that would remove him from the battlefield once and for all. And one week ago, after being advised that the conditions were optimal, I gave the final approval to go get him. Yeah, Biden, I just don't believe any of it. I believe they told him right after the strike was done and said, hey, we went ahead and did it. Uh, you were not unavailable. You were eating ice cream. So we just assumed that you'd say yes, and we did it. So now here, here's uh, something you can claim it was your decision. So let's talk about the China syndrome now, since we're talking about stuff overseas and uh, weakness. We're talking about the weakness of Joe Biden. Let's talk about the weakness of Nancy Pelosi and how they continue to let the world know how weak our country is right now. As we've been hearing all week, Nancy Pelosi was the first Speaker of the House to visit Taiwan in 25 years, getting a largely welcome, uh, largely warm welcome from the Taiwanese people. But as soon as her visit was confirmed, the Chinese state media said their army would begin a series of military operations by Thursday, which they called necessary and just. And unlike our country, uh, they said it was going to start on Thursday, and it did. By the time Pelosi left on Wednesday, 27 Chinese war, war planes had already entered its air defense zone. And as uh, and and as uh, and then they positioned uh, uh, warships around the island of Taiwan. And as of Friday morning, they officially ended all talks with the U.S. regarding military and what's worse, climate change. They're not talking to us about climate change anymore. Oh, my God. Democrats are Democrats are going crazy. No, no, no. They don't care about climate change. That's why they're kicking our butts because uh, climate change. They just keep change. They just keep doing what they do. And we keep crippling ourselves. So we can save the trees, save the earth, kill the people. By Thursday, at least 11 Chinese missiles struck the seas on the north, south, and east of Taiwan. I guess if I lived in Taiwan, I would start to feel a little bit nervous. So Pelosi actually put the people of Taiwan, who she supposedly cares about so much, in danger of a Chinese attack. And she created more instability between China and the United States. But Pelosi says all the fuss over her trip was, wait for it, Sexism. I think it's important to note that members of Congress, several of them had made trips just earlier this year. I think that that um, they made a big fuss because I'm speaker, I guess. I don't know if that was a reason or an excuse because they didn't say anything when the men came. <laughs> <laughs> She's such a dork. And I understand. You know, and here's, here's some of my question is, what is our interest in Taiwan? Do we really care if they're part of China or not? They produce a bunch of stuff and send it to us. Uh, China produces a bunch of stuff and sends it to us. We should be thinking about the United States instead of Taiwan. I don't know. We want to protect their, their independence as a sovereign nation. But, you know, if you listen to Mike Pompeo, Mike Pompeo says, we can't win boat versus a fort. We can't, we can't fight China from the sea and win 
when they're on land. Just like the English couldn't beat uh, the, the, the New World, America, uh, in the American Revolution. They couldn't beat us from the sea. And anybody and anybody who says, you know, if, if they can't listen to Mike Pompeo, maybe they should listen to Adrian Balboa. You can't win! No, you can't win. So why even start a fight? Why do we care that much? So Pelosi supports Taiwan's uh, right to independence, which dissents from the White House's solidarity with the Chinese government's one China policy. Because the White House's policy is just, just agree with everything so they don't get mad at us. But what was the actual reason that the Speaker of the House went to Taiwan in the first place? Senator John Can uh, Kennedy from uh, Louisiana has a good guess. This, en this entire exercise began with Speaker Pelosi's ego. She knows after the midterms, she's not going to be Speaker anymore. She may not be in Congress anymore. So I think she thought up this trip as a way to say, well, look at me one more time. Uh, she talked to the White House and some knucklehead, either on Speaker Pelosi's staff or the White House, leaked it. And on top of that, President Biden spoke publicly about it and said, oh, well, maybe she shouldn't go. Well, at that juncture, she had to go because weakness or the appearance of weakness invites the wolves. Um, so I'm glad the speaker went, but if she really wanted to, uh, to demonstrate strength from the United States of America, she would have made it a bipartisan trip. She would have brought Kevin McCarthy along. She would have brought the Secretary of Defense along. But no, it's her. It's the Speaker Pelosi show. And the added benefit of all this is that, you know, we're not talking about inflation or crime or the open border or her husband's stock trades. Nope. Weakness invites the wolves and the wolves are circling around our yards right now. So now we've got our Speaker of the House angering China and the president who bows down to them at every opportunity. Let's compare that to the way Republicans do things. Well, let's say let's compare that to how a businessman running as a Republican running our country. Let's compare that to the way Trump uh, handled U.S. policy towards China and how it evolved under Trump from the Axios report published last year. Late 2016, Trump's election leaves many guessing what the what turn the U.S.-China relations might take. There are no there are concerns that President Trump might cozy up to Chinese President Xi Jinping, but that's not what happened because in 2017, Trump levies tariffs on billions of dollars of Chinese goods, sparking a uh, trade war. Which I can tell you, I was uh, speaking at a conference with a local economist there who told everybody what a mistake that was and how the trade war was going to happen. I spoke behind him and told him, told him that this was the right thing to do because at some point you have to stand up and, and, uh, and fight for what's right. 2018, the Indo-Pacific framework is approved and the Department of Justice launches its China initiative to disrupt, to disrupt Chinese spying in the U.S. 2019, we get even tougher. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo publicly accuses Chinese Communist Party of seeking international domination. 2020, also known as the year that China gave us COVID, Trump lifts the floodgates, allowing all federal government agencies to push through their long-desired actions on China-related issues. In fact, throughout 2020, the Trump administration took at least 210 public actions related to China that spanned at least 10 government agencies. That include 22 actions by the Justice Department, including indictments and arrests. 60 actions by State Department, including visa restrictions. 27 actions by the White House, including executive orders and signing of the Phase 1 trade agreement. 23 actions by the Defense Department. 16 actions by the Department of Homeland Security. 
24 actions of the Treasury Department, including sanctions on 90 Chinese entities and individuals, 13 actions by the Commerce Department, two actions by the Energy Department, including designating China as a foreign adversary, six actions by the FCC that designated Chinese state media as national security threats, one action by National Security Agency on China-linked cyber actors, and of course, the U.S. withdrawal from the World Health Organization because of China's influence over it. That's just some of them, and none of them triggered a response from China, China, like what we're seeing this week. Peace through strength is the plan, folks. Strength, act strong, be strong, don't back down. That's what a strong president does. That's what we had with Donald Trump. Yeah, but he tweeted out some mean stuff. Poor babies, get over it. Bunch of snowflakes. Here's some more perspective from John Kennedy of Louisiana. Now, here's what's going on here. President Xi in China is working with with Putin and Russia and the Ayatollah in Iran. And their ultimate goal is to have Russia dominate Eastern and Central Europe, have Xi and China dominate the Indo-Pacific, which of course includes Taiwan, and move into Sub-Saharan Africa, and have the Ayatollah dominate the Middle East. And they're working together. And that's not a world that is safe for America and Western values. And what he doesn't mention, and I'll talk about more next week, is how China and Russia are pushing to get rid of uh, the dollar as the standard currency, which means it cuts off our our United States credit line and is going to be disastrous for our economy. But anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. So thanks for listening. My name's Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back again with you next week.